Top of the morning, Connect. How are we all doing? Good? Good to be in the house of the Lord, yes or no? Yeah. Hey, want to welcome you guys uh, to Connect. If you're here for the first time, my name is Pastor Derek, and it's just awesome to be in church. In fact, I want to welcome all our online and cable viewers. Can we do that? Can we give them a big hand? Glad you could be with us, too, watching with us online. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. Hey, um, I was away, and I'm back. I love my church. I just want to make sure that's crystal clear. Uh, there's no place like this place, you know, anywhere like this place, near this place, far from this place. So this must be the place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, it just, I, I, get, I get away, and um, from time to time, you know, get to, to see other churches and other environments, and uh, was just was down in, in Florida, a pretty strategic week to be away, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I'm a man of God. I know when to go. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He just tells me these things. He leads me and guides me. You should just, uh, just kidding. But um, while I was away, I was, just, I was just sitting there and I was just thinking, you know, how blessed I am to, to pastor this church. And I was just so grateful for uh, being there. And, and I love the churches that I get to go to and invest in. But I just truly love our church. I think we have awesome culture, which I'll talk a little bit about today. And it's just a great place to grow up and grow in your faith. So if you're kind of new, I just want to say something to you. We want you to be here. You're welcome. You know, our house is your house. Uh, this is a place that you don't have to believe like us to belong with us, and we, we, we just love to have you here. In fact, this is, this, we, we really want to encourage you that if you want it to, I say this a lot, if you want it to be your best year, make it your best year spiritually. You are a tripart being. You have a spirit, mind, and a body, but a lot of times we neglect the part that actually can make the biggest impact, and that's your spiritual life. And so if you'll just be in church on a regular basis, we call, what you're doing right now, we call sitting under the word. Sitting under the word. Everybody say, sitting under the word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you want to build your faith. You got you to hear the word. You got to hear the word. So get in church on a regular basis. I'm telling you, just a year of consistency, just that will change your life. But then if you take it up a notch and you get around, uh, you get out of big church and into small church, and you get into these small groups that we have that meet all over the community, that's where you can go and really, really grow because that's where there's not just information, there's interaction. And in the process of kind of just opening up and, and, and getting real and just kind of getting to this place uh, of honesty and transparency and vulnerability, that's where you really, really begin to grow. And then God wants to take that, that where you get healed, you work through your wounds, you deal with your yesterdays. Then in church here, we really encourage you to get what we call our next steps. That's like identify where you are in your spiritual journey. That's what next steps is going to help you and give you your next step. And in the process of those next steps, one of the things we're trying to do is not get you to enroll in a church and, 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 and do something for us. No, it's to help you figure out what you were created to do on this earth. What's your design, which is connected to your destiny. So right now, during the second service, people are meeting uh, next door in one of our other buildings, and they're figuring that out. It's just so cool, and there's dozens and dozens of people going over there every single week. I encourage you to do that. It literally will change your life. Amen? Um, listen, I got to tell you one quick thing that's coming, and hopefully you know, but it's Easter. Everybody say Easter. <laughs> okay. Hopefully you got one of these in your worship guides. This is an invite card, not an information card, but it does have some important information telling you about five services on Easter. We're going to have a lot more, double what we have normally here is going to show up on Easter. Help me, Jesus. And, and, but we love it, though. So we're, we love controlled chaos. Okay. So we're asking you to obviously invite your friends. It's the best chance to get somebody to say yes to an invitation to come to your church. Listen, listen, listen. This happens all the time. When people just get through the threshold, cross the front door, see that awesome common downstairs. Wasn't that pretty cool this morning? That was pretty cool. Some of you guys weren't even saying hi. You're like, ho, 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 ho. You're like, not even talking to people. You're like, hi, hi. Anyway, it was funny to watch. Um, but we're just making improvements because Easter's coming, and we want to have a service that's fit for a king, and people just be wowed, and, and we want to exceed their expectations. And so when you invite somebody uh, to church, we want it to be predictable and, and powerful at the same time. So invite people. Best chance to get a yes is Easter. And then the second thing I'm asking you to do is get tickets. Everybody say tickets. tickets. You're like, tickets in church? What? Listen, first of all, they're free. Everybody, please understand nobody's charging anything here at Connect. That's not our culture. The reason we're doing tickets, which, by the way, won't be physical, they'll be online. So you go online. We'll have all this detailed next week. We'll send you a text message about it. If you're on our text service, just go to our worship guide. That will instruct you how to get on our text service. 
All, all people who are family members, frequent flyers, you got to get tickets. Why? Because you won't get a seat if you don't know. So we can prepare to have enough seats. Okay? So really the reason I need you to do this is so that we are able to adjust to the capacity increase that's happening here. The worst thing that can happen is people come and there's no room in the parking lot. People come, which is already a problem. People come and there's not a seat for them, right? So we want to get ready for them. That's why we're having five services. We want to know how they're dispersed. Please say, I'm going to obey you, Pastor. Everybody say that. I'm going to obey you, Pastor, and I'm going to get tickets. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. All right. So you can get your worship guide out. We're in our third installment of an awesome series entitled Microphone. How are you guys enjoying this so far? I love this series, okay? And basically, fundamentally, this series is a series about influence. Leadership, if you put it in a word, is influence, impact, you know? And so microphone is basically, it's always on. You are a microphone, and your microphone is always on. You are intentionally or unintentionally influencing people that are around you and within your sphere of influence. And your, 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 your life is a loudspeaker. Speaking of loudspeaker, didn't Pastor Devin do a great job last week? Come on, give it up for Devin Fry. What a great message. I was listening to the message online and just getting so blessed, not only as a pastor, uh, not only as a, as a speaker, but also as a father, just listening to this salt and light uh, inf- information that he was giving us. But basically, we're supposed to, come on, we're supposed to make a difference in the world, amen? And if you didn't get that message, I encourage you to go back, go back to our archives and go to our website and YouTube and all the places, podcasts, and every God-forsaken place we have, God-blessed place we have, <laughs> to watch and listen to those messages. You should get it. But I'm going to do a little twist on the series today. By the way, I am not caffeinated, so stop looking at me that way. I'm just excited to be in church. I'm very passionate about this message today. The twist today is don't, don't let the world kind of mute your mic. Don't mute your mic. So yeah, the mic's always on, but you could be muting your mic or something else or someone else could be muting your mic. And one of the things that I see in the church today, kind of two big problems. The first message I kind of addressed one of these problems, and that is I see in general that the church has a lack of care, a certain indifference to people who are far from God. How many were here the first message of microphone? Raise your hand, okay? So I talked about, remember that scale from like 1 to 10, apathy being like, you know, people just not really caring about people far from God, all the way to passionate people. And I really asked you to kind of measure where you were, right? So that's a concern that I see in the church. And the whole first message was just kind of really getting a good grip on that indifference, that lack of care. But the second concern that I see in the world today is that the world is trying to get the church to turn down the volume. Shh. I, I appreciate what you believe, but if you could just keep that to yourself, if you could just hide your light under a bushel, no, all the Baptists, come on, you know what I'm talking about, no, I'm going to let it shine, right, you know, I'm going to turn the volume up, no, but that's what the world's trying to get us to do is mute your mic to keep you quiet, to keep you hush, hush, the world will not be changed if we mute our mic, can I have an Amen. amen. And what's so important is, and Jesus was talking about this in the first message, that he came for that which was the sick and for the sinners, people that that were disconnected, far from God, people that were hurting and broken. Why? Because Jesus had a mentality. He He had a perspective that was eternal, not just temporary. It was eternal. He always looked through the lens of eternity. And God is trying to get us, as we mature in our faith, to look through the lens of eternity, not just through this immediate temporal life that we hold on to so tightly. And I'll give you an analogy at the end of the service about that. In fact, I was watching a, a movie that I've probably seen literally about 15 times, one of my favorite movies of all time. And if you know me, you probably can guess which movie this is. But, but it, it just moves me every time. Girls watch this, and they're like, oh, guys watch this and cry. Uh, it, just, it just makes you impassioned. It makes you want to just take on the world. But there's this one scene that I want you to see. They're going to dim the lights. Check this out, and then we'll talk about it in just a second. Look at this. my crops. Imagine where you will be. Yourself. 
And it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. You find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face. Do not be troubled. For you are in Elysium. And you're already dead. <laughs> Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. How did he motivate this army to go into battle, to, be, to make an impact? He, he motivated, them, motivated them by a perspective of eternity. What you do in this life echoes in eternity. Doesn't that sound just awesome when you talk like that? <laughs> I just love, I think I'll do a whole message that way. But, but let, me, let me give you just kind of a phrase that'll make you think, just make you think. And I don't know that you think about this as Christians a lot of times, but you know, you're not gonna be rewarded in heaven for your faithfulness. You're going to be rewarded in heaven for your fruitfulness. What did you do with the time you had, the talents you had, the treasure you had for God? You're going to stand before God one day. Listen, I'm just preparing you. I'm trying to be a good pastor this morning. You're going to stand before God one day. Do you want to just get in? Some of you are okay with that. But I don't want to be in that trophy line and everybody's passing me by. I don't want to be in that reward ceremony and I'm, I'm, I'm not in it. Just let that sit for a second. You know, I, I don't want to get to God and I stand before the judge and he's, and he's like, hey, hey, talk to me. Hey, well, I know my mic was on, but I guess it was on mute. I guess it was on mute. I, I didn't realize it was on mute. That's our responsibility. Your mic is always on, but you or you can allow the conditions and culture of our world to mute your mic. God wants to make an impact through you. There's nothing worse than as a public speaker or a singer on stage than to get up there and you're supposed to have a resounding sound, something that influences and impacts and echoes beyond where you currently stand and your mic is muted. And I think God looks at us and he says, I put a mic in your hand, Derek. I put a mic in your hand, sir, man, boy, or girl in this room, and you've got it on mute. You're covering it up. I think, that, I think that hurts our Father in heaven. I think that, that, that bothers him because he's basically saying, I came and I, I spoke loud. I was a loudspeaker to the world. And I transferred that sound to be made to you, to be made to the rest of the world. And you guys have chosen to mute your mic. God wants your mic to resound loud, to have a tremendous volume. Here's your big idea. Don't let the world mute your mic. Now, we're going to study a guy named Daniel because I think it's a tremendous example of a person who is living in a culture much like ours where his personal convictions and belief were confronted by the culture in the world in which he lived. In fact, the laws of the land and, 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 and the leadership of the land directly opposed that which Daniel was raised to believe and his three amigos were raised to believe. And my concern is how do we, in the world in which we live, maintain, uphold, and even influence the world in which we live in a culture that believes completely different than us? Do you think that may be relevant to us today? Yes or no? I think we live in a culture today where in a world today where we're the only monotheistic religion that blends in with everybody else. In other words, when you study, if you, if you look at Judaism, you look at a Jew, a, a, a Jew, you know they're a Jew. You know. I'm not, this is not judgment. This is just a statement. If somebody is a follower of, uh, is, follower of uh, is a Muslim and, and follows that faith, you know a Muslim when you see a Muslim. But when you look for a Christian Sometimes it's hard to find them. It's because they've allowed culture, the world, to mute the mic. And we miss the message. And sometimes we twist it and go too far the other way. And as a result, we don't have an impact. And we're not making a resounding sound. But I want to help find that balance between the two. And Daniel is kind of layered in the Bible. You know, we've got, we talked about this during the text series. We've got, the Bible's not written chronologically. It's written by type of books. So you got the five law books, and you got the history books, and the poetic books, you know, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, things like that. And then you've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. One of those prophets is Daniel. And, and, and Daniel's book is written in kind of two sections. The first section is a historical section, like chapters one through six. And the latter part of Daniel is a prophetic book. In fact, I didn't say pathetic. I said prophetic. <laughs> powerfully prophetic, vividly prophetic. In fact, a lot of the things you see in Daniel correlate and are directly connected to what you read in the book of Revelation, except the fact that it was hundreds and hundreds of years before. 
In fact, the vision Daniel had is much like a vision that John the Beloved had. It's like crazy. But in the first six chapters, there's just this history of what was happening with the people of Israel. And, and, and it's, it's in this particular time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, or if you are a VeggieTale follower, King Nebi Nebi. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is largely in charge of, 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 of Israel at the time. They had been besieged, is the biblical word. Basically, they had been taken captive. And God, had, had, through prophecy, had just said, hey, listen, Israel, if you don't follow me, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to release you. And, and that's exactly what happened. And they were taken captive. And certain people didn't make it, but some did. And they were kind of in exile to Babylon or Babylonia, which is known as modern Iraq today. And, and, and Daniel and his three friends were besieged. They were taken captive. And so the story is, is about all that. But behind the story, kind of the story within the story is, how do these guys live their faith and live and practice their beliefs in a culture that was directly opposite? In fact, the leadership was trying to get them to do something that they didn't want to do. It was directly opposing them. It was trying to control and manipulate. It was trying to mute their mic. Does anybody think this is relevant today? I think it's extremely relevant. And so we're going to talk about these guys because I think we live in a similar culture today. This is not in your notes, but 2 Corinthians 6, 14, if you're an extra note taker, and if you are, I love you, but 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Let me just, so I don't break down all the, you know, semantics of that verse and adverbs and how they modify this verb and blah, blah, blah. Basically what that means is this, is that you don't want to be influenced more by people who don't believe like you than you are your beliefs on them. This is all about influence. You never want to be out of balance. It's not saying separate yourself from the world, hide yourself in your basement, pray, and just, you know, isolate. No, it's saying you can be in the world, but not of it. You need to influence the world. You need to make sure your mic is on permeating the environment in which you're living with the volume of your life. Is everybody with me? And that's what Daniel and his, and his three amigos did. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and following. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is really good. All right. The sincerity is overwhelming in this room. Praise God. <laughs> Daniel 1, verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebi-Nebi, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Now, the temple of God is like church, and these articles were these holy relics, like this, this divine furniture. It, was, it would have been a great offense to take this furniture and these relics out of the temple of God and put them in the temple of false idols. And that's exactly what happened. They carried them off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, remember that name because it's in the story the whole time, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, just like myself. <laughs> Wait, you guys laughed a little bit too much on that one. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in language and literature, uh, excuse me, qualified to serve in the king's palace. So this is kind of like a pattern for leadership development, by the way, if you're ever looking for something like that. He, this is Ashpenaz, was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them, this is a really important part of the story, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And this is because uh, this would be a problem for the Jews in their kind of dietary practices, dietary laws. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they would enter the king's service. Among those were these four guys from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, the world in which they lived in, again, was confronting the belief system in which they were raised, and the attempt to practice their faith in this world was the struggle of the story. And that's really where we are in our world today. And so what, what we see in our world today is that we're always moving our behavior to somebody else's beliefs instead of moving uh, people over to our convictions and our beliefs. That's, that's, that's what we're called to do while we're here. We're actually called to be an influence on the world in which we live. And I'm going to challenge you that the, though the world may change, God does not change. I am the Lord, I change not. And we're supposed to be his representatives, you know, and have kind of a pivot foot on the planet Earth that doesn't move. It is unshakable, unwavering, no matter what is going on, unconquerable, no matter what is going on in our world. Amen? So, so basically, but that's not what we see, though. We see Christians 
And, and you and I say things, sometimes think things, you know, oh, well, let's just take the Bible. You know, that, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's different today. You know, that was then, this is now. As if the scriptures are not timeless and true, regardless. Uh, you know, we need to adapt to the new culture in which we live. We need to kind of adjust things. That, that was then, again, this is now. No, that's not the case. We need to literally get to a place where our beliefs do not change. We, we, ch- we change to God. We don't try to get God to change to us. And I've watched this my whole life. I look back, I can remember years ago when I was a kid watching TV, I remember I would get in so much trouble if I watched the show Three's Company. Anybody remember Three's Company? Three's Company too. I mean, I could, but if, if my parents came down and watched that show, I'd be in so much trouble. But I can remember before that show came out, because that was a really controversial show when it came out. Before that, if a husband and wife were married on TV, they didn't even sleep in the same bed. Does anybody remember that? But now you could have... Not only husband and wife in bed, you could have, you know, uh, non-marrieds in bed. You could have boys and boys in bed, girls and girls in bed, couple girls and a boy in bed, all that, on TV all the time now. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, look, has culture shifted? Has culture changed? Yes or no? Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot. I kind of grew up in a more Puritan, maybe overly uh, uh, rule-oriented Christian experience, but there was a, there was a part of it that was, that was pure. There was a desire to be holy and, and to please God. It, yes, it could go extreme, and I hope to touch on that just a little bit, but I remember when, when watching movies was like seen as of the devil. I remember playing cards was like of the devil. <laughs> Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I've seen a lot of movies, and I've played a lot of cards since. Come on, somebody. <laughs> this is my public confession. <laughs> I remember, when, <laughs> I remember when dancing, like shaking your booty to the world's music was not okay, right? We used to teach in our church that pre-mar- we teach against premarital sex because it led to dancing. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you guys tell me. That's funny. But, but people say things to me on the side. They'll say things to me as a pastor. You know, I really want to make an influence. Though. I don't know how to reach so-and-so. I don't know how to touch so-and-so. They're not really listening to me. I don't think they'll do this. They don't see the association between their ability to influence connected to the correlation between what I profess and say I believe and how I actually live my life. So they'll say things like, well, I can do this, and I can do that, and I can go here, and I can eat that, and I can click this, and I can, all that stuff. And it just, you know, Pastor Derek, it just doesn't bother me. They, they, that's their argument to me. It doesn't bother me. And I, and I want to say to you, that's, that's my point to you. I'll just wait for that to click. It doesn't bother you. Maybe there's a connection between those two, and it's muting your mic. It's affecting your influence and your impact on the world. Now, what happens is a lot of times the church takes the assignment of the Holy Spirit over in that process and decides to police and manage people's behavior. And I'm just telling you, we're not going to be a church that just says we're against this and we don't do that and we hate this and we hate that. That's not my job. My job is to connect people to God and the Holy Spirit will speak to an individual about their life and lifestyle and make those course corrections from the inside out, not from the outside in. Can I have an amen? So I just want you to know we're not that kind of a church. But, but, we, but we cannot not talk about the connection between how our life, what we actually practice, and what we actually say are supposed to correlate, and maybe that's what's muting our mic and our ability to make an impact and influence on the world in which we live. I love our church because when you get it right, the culture of connecting to God and following and listening to the Holy Spirit corrects anyway. We, we, live, in a, we live in a society today where, where uh, in, in Massachusetts, for example, we have the highest cohabitation rate in the country. By the way, Massachusetts this year was, was rated number 50 in the most unchurched, tied with New Hampshire, unchurched state in the United States this year. Praise the Lord. Because where the darkness is great, the light shines brighter. And you know what? I feel called to this area, and I don't care what's going on out there. We're a greenhouse in here. And so if we can just get them in here, they will grow. Everything will turn green. Can I have a better amen from this church? We're called to New England. We're called to Massachusetts to reach this community. So I'm not deterred by that. It actually kind of makes me excited. I don't want it to be easy because it's not easy to follow God in this world. Amen? So listen, we, so when people get into a culture, we connect them with God. What's amazing to me is I don't have to say anything because the Holy Spirit says anything. I just teach there's a better way. Let me tell you about covenant marriage. Let me tell you about 25 years married, working it out. 
getting better as we go along. Not better than everybody, just better off because I'm following God's principles. And then people come to me and other pastors and leaders of this church and just say, I don't know, God's been talking to me. Uh, we're, we're thinking about getting married. My conscience has been bothering me for a long time about it. I want to make right. I want the blessing and favor of God. I didn't have to say anything. That's what I'm talking about in terms of the mic not being muted. Is everybody tracking with me? It's through your life, salt and light to the world, that through your good deeds that people want to praise God and follow you. Matthew 5, 16. That's what the Bible says. Amen? So I, I remember as a young person struggling to, to caring what everybody else thought. I'm taking myself back maybe five or six years, but when I was running for eighth grade class president, I remember way back then, I don't know why you're laughing, I still looked at you, but I, I can remember back then, my sole quest was to be accepted and to be popular with people. I, was, I didn't realize this, but I had an addiction to, to, to approval. I had an approval addiction. It's one of the things God set me free from. And so I was running for class president, and, and, and everything was about the election, the event, and winning. And so I did everything possible to win, a lot of compromising things to win that election. Ultimately, I did win that election. But what I didn't realize is there's a corresponding responsibility with the class president to have a vision for the class and to actually lead it out of certain things into certain things. I had no vision, no, no preparation, no goals, nothing. And what I also didn't know was there was going to be a special ceremony where I had to present to the whole student body my vision. So I can remember about 48 hours before this occasion that I was going to have to bring a class speech. And by the way, this is amazing. My number one fear in life was communicating in front of a crowd. Isn't that interesting? Totally insecure, freaking out. I wanted everybody to like me in the process. I was about to lose everybody's respect. I was about to lose all my influence in one moment. What I didn't also do is I didn't invite my parents to this special occasion. Because I was embarrassed that they would embarrass me because my dad was a strong, devout Christian and I was pretty sure he was going to show up in a th three-piece suit with a Bible about a mile wide <laughs> to the ceremony. And sure enough, they found out about it. I didn't invite them and he did show up and he did bring his Mama Jamma King James Bible with him too. And I remember sitting at the podium much like this and seeing him walk in the room and the shame and the embarrassment and the fear that came. It was the worst speech of my entire life. <laughs> and in only weeks, I, I'm standing before all these other student advisors and vice presidents and different people. No vision, no plan. I lost all the respect. I lost all the popularity. And I lost the respect of my parents as well because I was ashamed of them. Compromise is worse, listen, than standing up for what you believe. A clear conscience and a clean life is way more rewarding than the temporary praise of men. And, if you, and one of the things that I'm learning now is if you want to live like no one else, you have to live like no one else. You have to be different than the rest of the world in the process. And so the world then and the world now is very, is very much the same. So I want to give you three things that the world is going to try to do. Number one, it will try to give you a new mic. In other words, it's trying, to, it's trying to steal your identity. It's trying to steal your mic that God put in your hand. Your, your identity wants to be stolen. Daniel 1.7 says, the chief official, this is Ashpenaz, gave these four guys new names, new mics. Notice this is the first thing that the devil will always try to do is attack your identity so he can alter your destiny. He wants to get to who you are so he can affect what God wants to do in and through you. He will always try to take your mic in the process. And we want to get you in a relationship here at Connect where you can work through your yesterdays, get healed, figure out what you were created to do, deal with the lies and the labels that man and culture and the world are trying so desperately to put upon you. This is what was happening to me at an early age. The enemy was trying to tell me that you're going to try to get everybody's approval and you're going to lose it. The enemy knew because he's intelligent, not omniscient, that I actually had a voice, that I actually had a certain volume, that there was a platform, there was something that God wanted to say through me, and he was trying to crush me as a 13-year-old on the platform. And by the grace of God, God gave me a redemptive name, and he put, he put my mic back in my hand. He says, I've got something that I want to say through you. And as a result, many years later, thousands of lives have been influenced because God gave me a new name, and I didn't accept the mic of the world. I didn't accept the labels and lies of the world. Glory to God. Glory to God. So let me show you the names that they were trying to give these guys. Let me dig into it a little bit. 
Daniel's name meant God is my judge. This is kind of bonus material, okay? God is my judge. In other words, Daniel's name meant I answer to God and God alone. I fear him. I don't fear man. That was my problem. I feared man. But the new name they tried to put on him was Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar means, listen, listen to this, it's crazy. It means, lady, protect the king. What? What is that? One of the attacks, not all of the attacks, but one of the attacks sometimes on our, on our identity is our gender. It's a gender attack. This is a massive, massive thing that is going on in our world today. Gender confusion. You listen, Daniel, you look like a lady to me. And you don't answer to God anymore. You answer to man. You don't fear God. You need to fear man. You need to worry about what he thinks. He's trying to change Daniel's focus from God to man. The world is trying to label us. Hannah's name meant Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh has been so gracious to me. And they renamed him Shadrach, which means I am a fearful. I'm fearful of God. I'm afraid of God. You need to fear God, Hannah. God's not good. God's not madly in love with you. God is mad at you. God is disappointed in you. You can't serve God, you know, as a son. You have to serve God as a slave now. He did everything not for you. He did everything to you. It's a lie and a label. Michael's naming who, who is what God is. Who's what, who's, who's what God is. There's no God like our God would be another way to say. God is absolutely amazing. Uh, his name meant to stand in awe of God. But Meshach was the new name. And this new name was I am despised, I'm contemptible, I'm humiliated. They try to say, you are now victimized. You are now, shh, you have nothing to say. Why would you say anything? See, I think the outcome of this label and this lie was, was really what we see in our world today. And I see a lot of young people. I see a lot of millennials that struggle with this as well. We, we are now, we're not, we don't live in confidence. We live in cowardice. Because the enemy is, you, you have no right to say anything because of da, 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 the list and the litany of mistakes that you've made in your life. You need to be cowardice. Not confidence anymore. You need, to be, you need to be quiet. And that same fear and intimidation has come into the church as well. And so now, oh, you know what? What about the, what about the separation of church and state? You're gonna, oh, he's going to go political on us. Let me just say something about that. This was not created so that, so that church wouldn't get involved in government. That was created so that government wouldn't get involved in church. As far as the last I checked, we are the people too. Right? And so it's, it's a mixture. It's, given, it's all been mixed up in the process. So we don't have to put people down to be an influence, though. That's not what I'm saying. I don't have to put anyone else down to live my beliefs. In fact, every time I put someone else down to live my beliefs, I reduce the number of people that I can reach for Jesus Christ. And that's where, the, that's where that counterbalance is to being an influence. This is just the way God told me to live. And I need to be able to live that in the world in which I live with confidence, not cowardice, in the process. Azariah. Everybody say Azariah. Azariah. Yahweh. means Yahweh has helped me. Yahweh, always my helper. It means he's close to God. He was near to God. He trusted God. It was an endearing term. They gave him the name Abednego. Abednego meant servant of Nebo. Nebo was a false god. They were trying to say, you're not a son. You're a slave. I, I understand. See, this is, this is what the church is like today. Okay, I'm saved. I'm out of jail, but I still got to act like a jailbird. A lot of people, are, they, they've made this connection here, but it hasn't translated here because they're not realizing I'm a son. I'm an heir of salvation. I had the same rights and privileges, not because of my righteous living, but because of his righteous living that's been given to me by grace through faith. That's why I can live this life as an overcomer, not because of my perfect life, but because his a perfect performance in my life. I'm a son. Does anybody get what I'm saying? And so they were trying to label uh, these men with new names, and God yet gave them all redemptive names. So here's the, here's the thing, the summary. You need to know who you are. You need to know who you are in Christ Jesus. And if you don't, your mic will be muted. The reason that you're not that influencer, the reason you're having trouble uh, persuading people, 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, if we know our God and fear our God, we persuade men. Our volume is great. But if we're not doing that, it's because we don't know who we are in Christ Jesus. We don't know that we're sons. We're acting like slaves. We've accepted a label and a name from somebody else. That's why you need to get involved so you can work through those things in this, in the, in this journey of faith that we have here at Connect. Amen? Amen? Number two, here's the next thing the world of culture will try to do. We'll try to control your volume. Try to control your volume. Shh, keep it down. Turn it down. 
Verse 8, it says, but Daniel resolved. Everybody say resolved. He resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So he didn't judge anyone else. He just resolved himself. I just want that to come through clear. We're not trying to judge anybody else. We're just resolving ourselves. Basically saying, you can do what you're doing, no problem, but I want to I do it this way. This is what I believe. This is my conviction. This is my belief system. Are you guys following with me? And this royal food and wine, these are like the two things in their belief and culture at that time that would be considered sacrilegious. Again, for the dietary reasons, but also because all the food and wine in Nebuchadnezzar's culture in the world at that time would be offered sacrificially to false gods. It was a form of worship. So before you ate the food, you had to bring it as an offering. That was seen as seen as sacrilegious to Daniel and his followers. So it was like the most grievous, I can't eat that because you were offering that to somebody other than my God, my one, the one true God. I can't eat that. So I understand why you do that, but I can't do that. That's kind of what Daniel's saying. So he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Notice the courtesy, and yet at the same time, the resolute attitude that Daniel had. He's basically saying, Ask if it's okay with you, this, this goes against what I believe, and I really believe this strongly. And if you, would, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to stick to my convictions. It's, it's a violation at the deepest core of my being, if that would be okay. And he has, he has things he adds to it after that. But some of us aren't even willing to start there. Some of us don't even know what we believe in and whom we have believed. We quickly just give over our convictions and beliefs, the things that we say, and we mute our mic in the process. It's important that you understand not only what you believe, but also the approach of your beliefs as well. Because the world's going to try to control you, turn your down, tur turn your volume down. But we're more concerned with what people think. Oh, I don't want to be that guy. Why not? Why not? Because the way everybody else is living is working out pretty good. I do want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. I don't want to be, I don't want to make a fool of Christ, but I'm willing to be a fool for Christ. I want to actually be, I'm willing to stand up for what I believe, even if it, it, it requires sometimes temporary difficulty, temporary loss, it seems like, for my own reputation, because I want to make sure that I'm living for the praises of God more than the praises of men. And what's interesting, if I'll suffer a little bit of temporary humiliation, perhaps, that over time, the same people that ridicule me are the people that come back asking for help. The same people that are asking for me to pray for them. The same people that are calling me on the phone and saying, hey, can we talk? That has happened to me time and time again because I held true to my convictions. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Now, I'm not saying what, what you should stand for and what others should stand for are going to be the same thing. It's not always going to be that way. Certain things in my pre-salvation days uh, 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 led to sinful behaviors. For example, dancing for me. Dancing for me, when I was dancing, it always led to immorality. For my wife, it just led to a good time because there was no immorality associated with. Then we get married, she wants to dance, and I don't. It took like 15 years before I was like, okay, because I had to grow out of that, get sanctified in that in the process. But sometimes we take what's a problem for us and we impose it on everybody else as if they're sinful. That's got to stop in the church of Jesus Christ. That's wrong. That's judgmental. That's not okay. So you can have strong convictions. Good. Between you and God. Awesome. But let God do the work in dealing with their lifestyle and their choices in the process. But know this, culture and the world are going to test those convictions. So write this down. Don't lose your convictions. Don't lose your convictions because it will mute your mic. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Follow the Holy Spirit and you will have peace in your life. Verse 9 and 10 says, it's not in your notes, but it says this, Daniel 1 verse 9. Now God caused the official, as a result of what Daniel did, to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king. He's assigned the food and drink, and so I want to honor you, but I'm afraid he's going to have my head if I follow you. So Daniel, Daniel says, okay, I hear you, I hear you. Listen to the wisdom. Listen to the wisdom. He says to the guard that was appointed over these four leaders, he said, test your servants. Please. Test your servants for 10 days. Not only was his muke, mic not muted for a second, it was off the whole time. So he starts and just says, hey, I can't do that. If it's okay, let me ask permission, blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, well, what about this? I'm afraid I'm going to die. He says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my mic volume up even louder now. I want you to test us for 10 days. By the way, doctrinally, 10 always represents testing. 
Okay, so it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, by the way. The, the tithe is represented to the tenth. In Malachi chapter 3, it says, test me in this. See if I will not open the windows of heaven. The, the disciples, Jesus spoke to them and said, I want you to go before Pentecost, and I want you to go to the upper room. I want you to pray for ten days. So ten is always testing. Daniel says, test us. How long? Ten days. I want you to test us. And at the end of those ten days, look what he says. He basically says, um, uh, listen, we'll, we'll be tested. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. This is the Daniel fast. Many of you know this. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. You and I are always going to have a certain moment of pressure in our life where that which we say we believe and profess is going to be tested. Are you willing to put it out there and say, go ahead and test me now and see, what, see, what, see what's up? This is the old faith that isn't tested, cannot be trusted. And many people are not willing to do that. As a result, they don't see the benefits that come from that. And I've lost respect and I've lost influence many times because I've compromised in the process. I, I, I can't tell you so many stories about this. It's, there's just too many to tell. But live a life for God where you put it out there. You put it in front of people. Never give in to the pressure. Write that down. Never give in to the pressure. The volume on your mic will go up or down depending on your response to pressure. I used to work for a company before I was in ministry uh, called Ford Motor Credit. I've told this story a couple of times in the past, but it's great for people that are new here. And while I got this job, I was also, I had made a commitment as a volunteer to this local church to lead praise and worship on Wednesday nights. So I, I used to be the praise and worship leader here and, and lead on a ukulele, no, on a guitar. And, 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 and I made that commitment. And yet I was going to try to take care of my family. I, my, we had my son at the time. My wife and I were married, and, and I needed a job, and we had just moved up here from the south. And I remember interviewing, and this company that I was at, basically in the first interview, they were saying, here's the deal. We like you. We'd love to have you on staff, but uh, some of the requirements are X, Y, Z. And I remember when they said, you got to have to work on Wednesday nights. It's mandatory within our branch. And I remember just like, <sighs> just feeling the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach because I, I, I knew the pressure that was there because here I have this full-time job, but yet I made a commitment to my local church. Listen, I never hear stories like what I'm getting ready to tell you anymore in the Christian church, and I wonder maybe if that's why we don't see the influence we need to see. So I'm not bragging about what I'm saying, but I am trying to challenge you in some way. And so I'm sitting there this interview process, needing a job, wanting the job, believe I could do the job, and they're saying, here's the deal. If you want it, but you got to work Wednesday nights. And I just remember just, oh, I said, I can't do that. I'm sorry, I can't work Wednesday nights. What do, you, what do you mean you can't work Wednesday nights? I said, well, I have a commitment to my local church. The guy snickered. Like, what do you mean? Well, I, I'm a volunteer at a local church, and I, and I lead the praise and worship at our church. And he's like, well, I, I'm sorry, it's just mandatory. It's, this, this is a branch policy. I said, I understand that, but I can't do that. And I remember just this thing come over me. I, just, I literally just said, I said, listen, listen. If, and this is the Holy Spirit, not me. I'm not smart enough to say something like this. I said, listen, if you'll, if you'll let me work less hours than other people, I will outperform in the same number of hours, in less hours, what everybody's doing with overtime, if you'll trust me and give me this job. I said, I don't know if I can do that. And so he leaves. He brings another manager in. They interview me. They go through the whole thing. I had three interviews in one day and just kept going up. The thing. And every single time, they kept chipping away at my character, chipping away at my conviction, chipping away trying to get me to work Wednesday nights. When I ended, listen, I got the job. I didn't have to work Wednesday nights. As Psalm 15.4 says, I kept my word to my own hurt and changed not. And God not only gave me the job, I was the only employee at the branch right over here in Southboro a long time ago. And uh, everybody else was going to work on Wednesday nights but me. I was here leading God's church. I, my mic was on in a different way, leading praise and worship. That eventually became a full-time job for me. And if I'm, in an ultimate sense, it became really what I'm doing the rest of my life because I wouldn't compromise in the face of culture. And I did outperform those other employees, and I did the best I could in that world. And my deeds spoke louder than my words in the process. God wants you to keep your mic on and not have it muted by your behavior and compromise. God wants you to turn the volume up, kind of a volume 10 liter. Look at Daniel 1.15 and following. It says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better. Everybody say better. better. God's way is, in, is, is better. It's better. It's, it's way better. And if you'll follow his way, you'll see that it's better in every single way. They looked better. They were nourished. Young men who ate, who didn't eat the royal food. 
So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So not just 10 days, but ongoingly, you can do it your way now. These four young men gave, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand, look at this, visions and dreams of all kinds. God supernaturally blessed him, gave him audience with the king, Nebuchadnezzar, face to face, interpreted in Daniel chapter 2 one of his dreams, influenced the entire nation, and Nebuchadnezzar told the nation, we're going to serve Daniel. Daniel's God from now on. Daniel went on to serve six kings while he was in captivity and influenced them all because he never compromised. He never had his mic muted. No matter what the threat, which you can read all that for yourself. It's amazing. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official, Ashpenaz, presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal. That's how we should be in the world. Not better, but better off. None equal to, because we follow God, we listen to God, we're led by the Spirit. None equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them, I want you to say this loud, ten times better. Come on, say it. Ten times better. The volume was cranked. I used to listen to the radio and the highest level was always ten in my mind. Ten. Turn it up to 10. I blew many of my parents' little cheap speakers out of their car out because I always turned the volume up when they weren't there to 10. God wants to turn your volume up, your influence up in the world today. And it was more than anything the world could offer. The magicians, the enchanters, anything the world had, they were 10 times better. God's way is better. God's way is better. So I have two questions for you as we wrap it up. Are you going to change the world or is the world going to change you? Are you going to change the world? Not, never mind anybody else. Never mind what Pastor Derek's going to do or somebody else that you respect or somebody you look up to or somebody you listen to. Never mind them. What are you going to do? Are you going to change the world or is the world going to change you? Are you going to set the culture or is culture going to, are you going to, are you going to reflect God? Are you, going to, are you going to be the thermometer? Or are you going to be the thermostat? Are you going to be the one that's the salt and light in the world? Matthew 5, 16, it says in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may what? Listen to you talk? No, they see your good deeds. They see you hold fast the profession of your faith. They see you stand up for what is right when things are wrong. They see you stick to your beliefs and your convictions even when it's uncomfortable and unpopular and you're unwavering in the process. Why? Because Jesus made my life better. I can't help but talk about what he's done for me. I can't help talk about what I've seen and heard him do all of my life. I can't not share it or give that away. Can I have an amen? amen. Here's my last point. And I want to end it with an illustration that I stole from somebody else. But, but one of the things that's always motivated me, and this is the question, will, will I live my life with eternity in mind? There's a great pastor, and, and I used to teach, teach this kind of a different way, but he had this long rope, and I just want you to imagine, this is all the rope I had in my house. I wish it was like 100 feet long, but I didn't have time. But I think sometimes we need a motivation, and it's not doing what I wanted to. Um, I th sometimes think we, have a we need a motivation for doing this, because otherwise you leave this, you're like, yeah, that's right, that's right, and you pump up, and you want to go in the car and play pump up the jam, and you're so excited, and then a few minutes later, you're like, I stink. I didn't stand up for what was right. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Sometimes I think it's because we don't have the right perspective and therefore we don't have the right inspiration to do it. It's amazing to me how we look at our life. We're not looking at, Jesus came into this world looking at his life through the lens of eternity. That's why he did all that he did. That's why he gave his life for people because he was interested in being with people forever. You and I are gonna spend our life somewhere forever based on decisions we make based on choices we make, based on exercising our free will and deciding, are we going to follow what some believe is the one true God? Are we going to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord? And many of you have done that. That's awesome. But why is it that we don't, this, this is a timeline. This is your whole life. Let's just imagine this goes on and on and on and on and on and on, hundreds of feet. Why is it that we live our whole life for just this gray part against all eternity? Oh, I'm going to work. Then I'm going to save, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to save, and I'm going to buy some toys, and buy some more toys, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to save, and then maybe someday, you know, I'll be able to do this, and someday I'll be able to go here, and someday, maybe, you know, I'll be able to pay for college, sweet Jesus, help me, Lord, and then so, there's a couple more weddings, oh my gosh, three of them to go, and then I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to pay off my house, and then I'm going to have extra money, and then I'm going to be able to do whatever I want for this much time. 
for an inch of gray. I live my whole life. Are you kidding me? What about all of this? What about eternity? Your life in the here and now affects all of this. It motivates me when I think through the lens of eternity. See, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 tells us that we're not supposed to focus on the temporary or the seen, but the unseen and the eternal. And one of the best ways that we do that is by unmuting our mic and being an influence and speaking loudly for what we believe and standing up for what we believe and showing through our life the message of Jesus Christ and how it's transformed us, not just in the here and now, but forever. Can I have an amen? Amen. I want you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you where you are. If you know you're sitting here in this room and you know your mic's on, but your mic's been muted, somehow through culture, through the world, the systems, the situations, the scenarios, your mic's been muted. And you want God to unmute your mic. You want to you agree with God. You want to be an influence in the world around you. You want to impact. You want your volume to be turned up to level 10 once again. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Say, Pastor, pray for me. Come on, good and high. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put your hand down. In fact, put it on your heart. I'm asking God to reverberate this prayer into your soul. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person, I don't know how to do this part, but just, just anoint them, Lord God, to be that microphone in the world today. There's going to be so many opportunities that are come up in the coming days, maybe even today, maybe at the restaurant they go to today, maybe at the family gathering they have today, maybe the phone conversation this week, maybe it's somewhere at the workplace. You know there's these opportunities and your mic has been muted and God's unmuting your mic. He's giving you the courage to, when the opportunity speaks up, pops up to speak up. It's going to be you. God's going to use you. He's going to turn your volume up. Maybe you're here today and you would say, my mic's not really on though. And I've accepted the label and the lies of the world and, and yet I believe that God has a new name for me. And that's true, he does. He wants to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. He wants to, he wants to give you a, a redemptive name and a redemptive calling. And you know what God is speaking to you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. This is where you feel far from God, but something's drawing you to God. God wants to make that connection, and it's through Jesus. It's through accepting what Jesus Christ did. He came to, to redeem you, to give you a new name, make you a new creation in Christ Jesus to turn up from the inside out, not from the outside in, because of a profession of faith and a belief in your heart. If that's you today, and you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life, I want you to raise your hand boldly. Say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Good night. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Be bold. Be bold. Yes, yes, yes. Come on, don't miss it. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Good, good. I thank you for your courage. You can put your hands down. That's fantastic. Now, I want to pray for you, this last group. Church, would you agree with me and for these people that have raised their hand and made that, those of you even listening online, you respond and say, Jesus... I thank you that you redeemed me and you've given me a new name. You see me as a son, a daughter, not as a slave. You've accepted me, not because of my performance, but yours. Save me right now. Do something from the inside that I cannot do for myself that is done by grace through faith in Jesus' name. Father, for every person, I pray you seal that prayer. I thank you that because of the confession of their mouth and the belief in their heart, the Bible says they're saved, and, and there's no other name by which we are saved except Jesus Christ, and their name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and the Bible says in heaven right now, a party's taking place, and they are rejoicing, and we rejoice with them here. Come on, let's give God a big hand clap for those decisions. Yes, yes, come on, baby. That's awesome.